Happy Thanksgiving to you. Yeah, I mean, we should, let, let's just say thanks to God all together. I like that. Thank you, God. Amazing. Um, and let me clap for you as you move in. Yay, way to go. Move in. Get your butt up and move in. There's more people coming. Yay, way to go. Um, we need uh, you to leave the 11 o'clock service and come over to Saturday night. Think about doing that. That would help us. Uh, I just uh, I hope your Thanksgiving went really, really well. I hope everybody at your house really got along <laughs> like it did for the first pilgrims and Indians, of course. Um, I, as you're moving in and as people are still coming in, let me just let me just tell you about Christmas Eve, okay? Christmas Eve is nine services here. We'll have two on Saturday night, two on Sunday morning, the same times we always do, and then two more on Sunday night, and then three on Monday. That'll give us nine at the Orland campus that will all be the same. I can't tell you which one's going to be more crowded or less crowded. doesn't matter. Just show up and show up. I want you to show up. I want you to invite some people, invite your friends. That's why we do as many as we do. Uh, it's a great opportunity for, for you to be able to reach a lot of people that, um, you know, may, they're looking for a Christmas Eve service, and that's why we do this. It's, it's going to be fantastic. If you're new, if you're a guest here, let me just tell you a couple of things. Number one, we blow up Christmas Eve. I mean, it is killer. It is the best service you've ever seen in your life. Starts with... Uh, Starts, our tradition is to start with a Trans-Siberian Orchestra number, and, and we got a video we're making that's going to be hilarious, and uh, there will be Queen, um, something to do with Eracity, and uh, there's going to be all kinds of amazing stuff going on this Christmas Eve, so don't miss it. Start thinking right now about inviting your family, your friends to come in and participate and be, be a part of that. Number two, if you're new, we're doing this thing called The Story. And we're in chapter 10 today. If you've got your books, you can turn into chapter 10. Basically what this is, and these would make some great Christmas gifts, I'm just saying, five bucks. I mean, this is a great idea uh, to give to other people because what they've done is they've taken kind of some of the extra stuff out of the Bible, and I, I don't mean that all the Bible's not supposed to go together, but for you to get the narrative and get the story put together, they've kind of synopsis, given a synopsis of the things that are going on in the Bible, put it all together uh, into a story form so that there's 31 weeks, 31 chapters, that we can kind of go through and get the big picture, okay? And, and so that's, that's what we're doing, and we're in chapter 10 today, and, and we're going to talk about some stuff that is going to be about understanding the obedience to God and how important that is, like we do a lot through the Old Testament. And while we're doing the story, I just need to explain a couple of things. There are some things about the Old Testament, there's things about culture that you're not going to understand because you don't live in that culture anymore. Last week, Ruth and the whole blanket covering the feet thing, if you were here, that's weird, it's different. It's a different culture. But I need to remind you, because a friend sent me this funny video, that, or this, this uh, PowerPoint this week, of how fast our traditions do change even where we live. Like, for example, this was a magazine ad not too long ago. Christmas morning, she'll be happier with a Hoover. And all the women said, uh, amen? No? Oh, okay. Maybe not. How about every voyage a gay cruise? I mean, you know... It, <clears throat> Just a little different. I love the puppets. The chef does everything but cook. That's what wives are for. Can't I? Right? <laughs> yeah, okay. How about this? If you want to eat all you want and not work out, sanitize tapeworms. That's for you. Oh, yeah, you're hungry now, right? I mean, just put those little boogers down there, and you don't have to worry about it. Eat all you want. How about this one? Cocaine toothache drops. Instantaneous cure. <laughs> your, your little teething babies will feel a lot better if you put them on cocaine. <laughs> Woo! 
Oh, blow smoke in, your, in her face and she'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> I don't know when that was ever possible. How television benefits your children, Motorola used to say. Yeah, you bet it does. We found a lot different now. How about this one? You can drink Blatt's beer and it will help your baby and you if you're nursing. The malt in the beer supplies nourishing qualities, and the hops acts as an appetizing, stimulating tonic for the baby. So drink lots of beer, nursing mothers. And here's another one. For a better start in life, start cola earlier. Oh, yeah. Right, here's how to add. The, the, for a better start, start it earlier. How soon is too soon? Not soon enough, laboratory tests tell us over the last few years. They have proven that babies who start, babies who start drinking soda early in the early formative period have a much higher chance of gaining acceptance and fitting in during those awkward preteen and teenage years. <laughs> That's what the experts say. Do yourself a favor, do your child a favor, and start them on a strict regimen of sodas and other sugary carbonated beverages right now for a lifetime of guaranteed happiness <laughs> and diabetes. <laughs> this is what the experts were telling us at the time. And I bring that up for two, two things. Number one, you're not going to understand the old customs and the old things. And number two, you need to be careful who you listen to, period. There's only one expert. There's only one person who created you and who knows what is right. That's why we keep going back to the Word of God over and over again. As a matter of fact, in my own life, I finally realized that it runs a lot better if I don't run it at all. And I don't just mean that spiritually. I mean that practically. If you've ever tried to get me to do something, you know that I just say, I have no idea. Talk to Jenny, my administrative assistant, or my wife, because they run my life. I have an administrative assistant, and I have a highly organized wife, and they just put stuff on my calendar, and, and I, when my iPhone starts buzzing in my pocket, I look, and I see where I'm supposed to go, and I click the calendar link, and I show up. That's how I do things, because if I run my life, I screw it up. I say yes to too many things. But there's an interesting thing that happens when they're not sure that I want to accept a calendar appointment. They send me an invite, a calendar invite, and it looks something like this, and I will get three options, okay? What do you think I should click on this one? Accept, maybe, or decline? I think I should click accept. And so what we're going to talk about today is that God sometimes sends us calendar invites. There are big things in our life that God says, hey, I want you to do something. And one of the guys, Samuel, that we're going to talk about is the guy who clicked accept. And he did what God wanted him to do, and he followed God. And the other guy, Saul, is a guy who kept clicking maybe and decline over and over again. And here's just a little advice for you up front. You can tweet this if you want. When you decline God, you will decline. When you decline God, you will decline. It's just going to happen. It's the life of Saul. We're going to see it this week. We're going to see it next week. When we get into the life of David, you're going to understand this. It's a little insider advice. It's best to let God run your life and click accept when he asks you to do things. We're in a period of Israel's history here in the story where it says in the book of Judges, it says, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what, their own, what they wanted to do. So it was a time full of idolatry and, and sin. And it was a time when everyone did what they saw fit. Some people were listening to the people that said, you should feed your babies beer. And some people were listening to the people that said, you should give your babies Coke. And some people were listening to the people that said, you should give your babies Coke. <laughs> and the place is a mess, right? This is where we're at. 
So the story starts today with a woman named Hannah, a very godly woman who really wanted children and she couldn't have children. And you read this throughout the Bible and sometimes you probably don't even understand that culturally. And some of you may be couples or, or ladies who really wanted to have kids and, and it didn't happen. And you feel Hannah's pain to a certain extent. But you have to understand that back in that day it was even harder because really a woman's only main contribution was to bear children. And if she didn't bear children, she was seen to be cursed from God. And if she didn't have a son, she didn't have anybody to take care of her in her old age when her husband died. And so it was a very big deal. Uh, for us, it's still a big deal. Not a big deal to me that I didn't have any sons because I can set up my own retirement program. And I have sons-in-law now, and it works out really good because I didn't have to deal with them in their junior high stinky boy days, right? I just get them now when they pretty much have personal hygiene down, so it works out okay. But for Hannah, it wasn't. And she really wanted a son. This was a really big prayer for her. So Hannah has gone into the temple to pray. And it's funny because Elkanah, her husband, I just got to point out a dumb husband moment. Every once in a while, it's good. Hannah, Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? I love this. Why don't you eat? <laughs> Woman, aren't you just hungry? Here, have a bagel. Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Stupid husband moment number 127 from the Bible. Don't ask questions you don't want the answers to. Thankfully, Hannah is a very godly woman, and she just says, yes, you mean a lot to me, dear. And she went to the tabernacle to pray. She went to pray for someone, to, to God, to give her a son. And when she was at the temple praying, she was praying so intently that when Eli the priest saw her, he thought she was drunk. I just got to ask you a question. When is the last time that you prayed so intently for something that somebody thought you were drunk? Usually they think I'm sleeping. And sometimes I am. And I'm not saying that God only answers your prayers when you're intense, because God hears us one way or the other. And Jesus said we didn't need to be necessarily repetitive with our prayers and pray them over and over again. But when there's an intense need going on in your heart, you know, Hannah's a good example of somebody who intently went back to God with her prayers. And God heard her, gave her a son, she named him Samuel. Now one of the things that she had done as she prayed this prayer, you know how you do the, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll do this for you kind of prayers. Hannah said, Lord, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him to you, to ministry. And so he gives her a son and she does exactly that. She takes him to the temple, she gives him to Eli to, to raise. Eli is the priest over everything. So at a very young age, maybe even three or four or five, uh, Samuel leaves his family and and goes and lives with Eli, the priest, and the priest's sons. And, and he learns to grow up to become a godly prophet. And Eli was a godly man at the beginning. And he, he did a good job of leading his people. But he didn't do a good job of parenting. And as his parents came along in this system, they were going to automatically become priests. And they became really lousy priests, really lousy leaders. They stole from the people. They stole from God. They abused the privileges that they had. And, and it wasn't very, very, it wasn't good. And what happens along the way is that the people start going, we don't, wanna, we don't want these guys to teach us. We don't want these guys to lead us. We need somebody else because these leaders aren't godly. And that's a responsibility that us, that we as godly leaders have. That's why I can't screw up. Too much is at stake. 
And I'm sorry if you come from a place where a godly leader screwed up. Everybody's human. I hope you can forgive them. But the problem is when a godly leader screws up, people start looking for other leaders other places. And sometimes they don't choose really well. That's what happens in our story. As a matter of fact, it gets worse. Okay, um, Samuel gets older, and at one day, Samuel starts to get his own calendar invitation from God. Because Eli is failing as a leader, and God is ready to raise up the next prophet, who is going to be Samuel. And we have this very special moment, this very beautiful moment, when Samuel gets his first call from God, and listen to what happens. Samuel is lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of, the God, of God was. Hang on to that one. And the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? But Eli said, No, nope, wasn't me. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down again. And again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli. I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him yet. He was young. He was growing up. He didn't know what the voice of God sounded like. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? And Eli realized that it was the Lord calling the boy. So Eli said, Hey, this is it, man. Go and lie down. If he calls you again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place, and the Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord spoke to Samuel. Can you imagine? I mean, Samuel's grown up hearing these stories from his mom about, you know, how I dedicated you to the Lord and you're this miracle baby and, and I gave you to the Lord and God is going to use you for something. And he finally gets the calendar invitation. He finally gets to hear the voice of God. He didn't know what it sounded like. Maybe you don't know what it sounds like either. And it's something that I want to encourage you to spend some time doing this week is listening. Here, here's, here's your assignment for the week. Every morning when you get up and every night before you go to bed, I want you to say what Eli told Samuel to say. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Just say that with me. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That, very, very simple. Put a calendar reminder on your iPhone if you're like me and you need to. Do something so that you remember when you get up in the morning at some time during the day and at night before you go to bed and then spend some time during your day listening and just saying, God, what is it that you want to say to me? Well, the message was that Eli was done as being a priest and uh, his family was going to be uh, taken out because they weren't good leaders. And eventually, that's exactly what happens. As a matter of fact, in the middle of all that, the Ark of the Covenant gets captured, which is a funny Spielberg moment in, in this passage, if you've got a chance to look at it. it. Because they capture, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant, which is the, the God thing, right? Except they put it in their pagan temple. And when they put it in their pagan temple and they went back the next day, their statue of Dagon, their big God, had fallen over. Nobody had in there, just the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, really a Spielberg moment. He, God had just knocked it. He couldn't be in this false temple in the Ark of the Covenant, so he knocked the thing down, and then people started getting diseases in the Philistine camp, and finally they brought the Ark back, just like the Germans. They brought the Ark back. They're like, oh, you take this. This is, this is out of our control. There's something going on here that we don't understand. And then Eli dies, Okay. And, and it, gets, it just gets to the point where we fast forward through the story and Samuel is a leader and he's a great prophet, but his sons don't lead so well either. And so finally the people are like, we want a, we want a new leader. The elders of the Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah and they said, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. 
So now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And there's the real issue. And there was bad leadership, so they're going to go follow somebody else. So what did they decide to do? They decided they wanted to be like everybody else. And listen, when you follow God, you can't be like everybody else. They were basically hitting the decline button as a nation to God. And they're going to do it over and over again. They've already been doing it over and over again. And Samuel goes to God and he apologizes and he says, God, they're rejecting me. They're rejecting my leadership. And it's like they're rejecting you. And God says, it's not you, Samuel. They've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, now they're doing it to you. So what was the problem? What was, it, what was the problem? What is it they wanted to put up on the throne? Well, I think they wanted to be like everybody else, so I'm just going to write the word conformity. Because sometimes that takes the throne of our life. Sometimes that gets in a place of importance for us. It's something that we decide to worship. Is We want to be like everybody else. For whatever reason, bad leadership, bad parenting, bad whatever happened in your life, you get to the point where you just say, you know what, I just want to be like everybody else. I, I, I wasn't even going to say this, but tragic second death in our congregation, people related to our congregation, in one week from heroin overdose of kids. We had a funeral on Wednesday night and uh, now it looks like there's another one that has happened. Just somebody that's a part of our congregation, teenagers. There's an epidemic of heroin going on. I had no idea. Two in one week. Why would you do that? One hit and you're addicted. I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, do you think this makes any sense anywhere? No, of course not. But it's conformity. Conformity can take the throne. We want to be just like everybody else. And they say, hey, we want to be like everybody else. We want to have a king like everybody else. And Saul says, you know what? It's not going to be like you want. But they say, we don't care. We want a worldly king over us, which is dumb. Basically what they were saying is, we want to follow a king and not God. Now, this gives me an opportunity to just say something really quick that I need to say. Because some of you are on the wrong side of the presidential election that just happened. Uh, You know, I said in my blog that some people are yelling four more years and some people are just yelling. Either way, the election would have gone. Half the country would have been upset. I need to remind you of something before you move to Canada or jump out a window. Listen to me. Okay? Which is kind of the same thing. I love the 11 o'clock service. And this one's going on the internet. Sorry, Canadians. Okay, here. Here's what I'm saying. All right? You already have a king. All right? I mean, if the president's Christian or not, if he follows what God wants or not, whatever's going on, you already have a king. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says it is, not, it is that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Need to understand that because what these people were saying was, we don't like the way our system is run. We don't like our government. We don't want to follow God necessarily. We want to do it our own way. We want to do it a different way. So we get back to the story, and sometimes our Heavenly Father does what any earthly father does. He sometimes, when you bug Him enough, will just go ahead and give you what you asked for because He knows it's not good for you, but you need to learn a lesson. Right? Your little kid comes to you over, I want candy, I want candy, I want candy. So at some point you just set down a bucket of candy in front of him and say, here you go. 
eat all the candy you want. And they eat all the candy and in about a half hour they come back to you and they say, Daddy, my tummy hurts. And then you can say, that's why you need to listen to Daddy. That's why we can't eat candy all the time. That's why I try to tell you the things that are good for you. And they go, okay, and they throw up on your shoe and you clean it up and you go on, right? But they've learned a lesson. You know, and God tells them, okay, they want a king, I'll give them a king. It's like a couple of weeks ago when they said they wanted meat. God said, if they want meat, I'll give them meat. They'll have meat coming out of their noses. Whatever they want, I will give to them. And sometimes God does that to us too. I was thinking about that this week. Doesn't sometimes, I mean, sometimes we say, God, I just want, you know, I, I, want, a, I want a bigger salary. I want my company to be bigger. I want a bigger house. I, I, I want the corner office. I want, I want, I want. And there are a bunch of older people in the congregation right now that are going, yeah, but that came with a price. And if, if I had my choice, you know, sometimes I kind of wish I could go back to the way things used to be when things were simpler and it wasn't all crazy like this. Someone worded the question this way. Would you rather be rich and depressed or poor and happy? And the answer is, I'd like to be moderately wealthy and semi-depressed, but that never works out. That <laughs> <laughs> usually doesn't work out. <clears throat> what I'm saying is, is, sometimes God just says, hey, if this is what you think you want, I'm going to give it to you. And we look back and we, sh and we think, maybe I should have prayed, not my will, but yours be done, right? So the choice they make affects Israel's history from now on. <clears throat> it, is, it, is a, it is a decline button to God that the nation of Israel has basically hit. So they get Saul. <clears throat> He's a king. He's a tall, good-looking, young leader king. Hilarious story about Saul and his calling. All right? Another one of those God moments when, uh, when God comes along and orchestrates everything. Saul's dad's name is Kish. And Kish has lost his donkeys. I know, it's just the dumbest, it's the dumbest thing. He's lost his donkeys, they went off somewhere, so he sends Saul to go find his donkeys. So Saul has gone for days trying to find his dad's lost donkeys. And he can't find them. <clears throat> so he does what anybody, any reasonable thinking person would do. He thinks, hmm, I'll go to Samuel the prophet and ask him if he can ask God if God knows where my donkeys are. <laughs> Don't ever do that to me. I don't, I'm not going to help you, okay? That's not what, that's not what, you know, whatever. So, so Samuel says, you know what? This was all orchestrated by God because God has said, Saul, uh, he said, Samuel, I'm getting ready to bring the next king to you. I'm going to bring him to you. So literally, God has this whole thing figured out. God lost the donkeys. He's hiding the donkeys somewhere so Saul can't find them. So Saul has to go to Samuel and meet Samuel. And Saul meets Samuel. Imagine you're, imagine you're Samuel and imagine you're Saul. And one day you're out looking for your donkeys and you're like, I'm going to go talk to the prophet. And you go talk to the prophet and the prophet says, don't worry about your donkeys. They're fine. But you're going to be the king of Israel. Oh, I just want to find my donkeys. <laughs> But Samuel's a respected prophet, and Saul reluctantly said, well, okay, whatever you say. And so this is important. Samuel anoints Saul. He anoints Saul. He, he, the power of God comes upon Saul. As a matter of fact, we find out that Saul gets to feel the anointing. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him on the bottom of page 137, and he joined in prophesying. And when all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what has happened to the son of Kish? I'll tell you what happened. Power of God happened. 
Power of God came upon him and enabled him to do ministry. That's where ministry comes from. It doesn't come from people. It comes from the power of God, which is what makes what happens next such a popular story among church leaders. I just wrote an article for a church leadership magazine about this very, very story. It's so funny. So here's it. Fast forward. Saul is anointed. He's the next king, but nobody knows it yet. He feels the power of God. He does this prophesy, but nobody knows it yet. Everybody's like, only the people that were around were like, wow, what happened to him? Something's different. So Samuel decides to get all the people together to announce to them, okay, you wanted a king? I'm giving you a king. Here he is. So he has all the people gather together, and he goes through each one of the tribes, one by one, and he finally gets to the tribe of Benjamin, which is the last one, and he says, it's going to be someone from the tribe of Benjamin. And everybody goes, yay, Benjamin. And then he says, okay, let's go through all the clans in Benjamin. Remember, there's a bunch of people. He goes through all the clans, and he gets to the clan that Kish is from. And everybody goes, yay, it's from, you know, Kish's clan. This is awesome. And finally, I mean, I, I, think he, I think that Samuel, this was like the beginning of American Idol. Samuel gets all of them together, and, and it's just this big thing, and he nails it all down, and he gets down to the end, and he says, and now, your new king of Israel, Saul, son of Kish. <laughs> and everybody goes, well, well, where is he? And they looked around, and nobody could find him. I mean, they literally couldn't find him anywhere. And when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man of God come here yet? They had no idea where Saul was. So they go to God, who has to be laughing as he delivers the next line. The Lord said, yep, he's hidden himself among the supplies. He's right over there hiding. He's hiding. He's afraid. He's, a re he's reluctant. Which is another thing that we sometimes put on the throne of our life when God gives us a calendar appointment is fear. Sometimes God says, I want you to go do something, and we're afraid, and we're hiding in the baggage. And that's the response that we give to God. And a lot of you are tuning me out right now because you're saying, well, God's never going to ask me to, to be the king of Israel. Can I just remind you of a couple of scriptures? Number one, from Peter, you, he's not talking to somebody else, he's talking to all of us, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are called to follow God. You say, well, I don't want to, call, I don't want to follow God. I don't want to declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness. I can't do that. Why not? Well, because of fear. Wait a minute. If the power of God is upon you, you don't have to fear. You don't have to let that be on the throne either. You don't have to let conformity be on the throne. You don't have to let fear be on the throne. <clears throat> Paul, Saul has already figured out that there is a supernatural anointing available for him, and yet he's still hitting decline. How many times have you done that? How many times have I done that? When I do this little devotion or this lesson for church leaders, it works out great because I can use the King James Version when I work for them. The King James Version of this says, and the asses of Saul's father were lost. So at this point, I would come around and say, you know what, it just may be one of those days when you can't find your own <laughs> donkey. And you feel like hiding in the supplies. But as you listen to God this week, <clears throat> as you listen to what God wants for your life, 
you gotta, you got to not just listen. you got to understand that you can obey Him, that you can click accept because of His power. Just hit accept and let His power work through you. I don't think God's audibly going to say, hey, you need to invite your neighbors to Christmas Eve. I don't think you're going to see a flashing billboard that's going to say, don't spend as much on Christmas so you can give to the needy. I think God is just going to speak to your heart and you're going to know. And it's going to be a prompting. But some of those things may make you feel a little bit frightful. Because here's the deal. If you forget the anointing of God, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be fearful, or another thing we'll see next week in Saul's life, if you forget the anointing, is that you're going to become prideful. You see, if I have the anointing of God, it's not me that's doing good things, and it's not me that's doing anything, so I don't need to be afraid, and I can't be prideful. If people say to me, you know what, Tim, the Lord really used you in my life, I say, great, that's wonderful. I'm really happy, but that was all God, it wasn't me. And anytime I start to get a big head, I have this sitting on my desk as a constant reminder that I'm not really all that important. (laughs) This is an old Parkview tape of a Tim Harlow sermon that somebody found in a Goodwill bin for 49 cents. (laughs) I keep this on my desk to remind me that I'm not all that. So when, when, when times, when things arise, situations arise that are above my pay grade, I don't have to be afraid because I have the anointing. And when somebody says somebody's doing something's good in my life is happening because of something you did, I don't have to get prideful because it's all about the anointing. Peter again said, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one who speaks the words of God. And if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how it's supposed to be. It's about the anointing. So we carry on with our story. And Saul gets it for a very, very little while. And Israel gets it for a very, very little while. And Samuel gets to the end of his life. And he makes this speech. And he says, listen, the the whole rejecting God as your king thing was a bad idea. But God still loves you. He still wants to take care of you. He said, you said to me, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was king. Now here's the king you've chosen, Saul. And see, the Lord has set him as a king over you. So if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. In other words, if you keep clicking accept on the calendar invites, Even though you've done this, God's still going to be with you. He's still going to take care of you. It's going to be different than it would have been before, but he's still going to do it. You can still land on your feet. And Saul starts off, okay, he wins a couple of battles and things go pretty well. But very early in Saul's kingship, we realize that he's not really going to be the guy that always clicks except when things happen. As a matter of fact, a lot of times he's going to click maybe. This is what he does a lot. Sometimes he clicks deny and sometimes he just clicks maybe. One example, you heard in the video, Samuel goes to Saul and says, listen, you're going to go fight the Philistines. They're a bigger army than you. You've got to make sure that you go with the anointing. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be prideful. Seven days from now, I will meet you. We will offer a sacrifice to God, and then you can lead the troops and go win this battle. And Saul remained at Gilgal, and the troops with him were quaking with fear. And he waited seven days, which was the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, 
bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered the burnt offering. Now that doesn't sound bad, except it is totally, because God set this thing up for the, only the priest to be able to do this. Saul decided to do it his own way. And just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him and said, what have you done? You know, if, if it works out for me, uh, I'll do it this way. If it doesn't work out for me, I'll do it a different way. And, and Samuel goes on and says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. What had he done? Well, this is another thing typically I do when I start to get messed up on the whole throneship of God is I decide to do things my way instead of God's way. That could be on your throne. It could be conformity. It could be fear. It could be pride. It could be that I just decide to do it my way. It's the way that I think it ought to happen. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Has that happened to you? You know, God, please do this. Please do this. Well, you haven't done this yet, so I think I'll take matters into my own hands. Maybe it's just me, but I put that on my throne every once in a while when God sends me an invite. Well, we go on in 1 Samuel 15. God sends um, Saul to go win a war against the Amalekites. And he's very specific in 1 Samuel 15 about how he wants, and this is the last story I'll hit for you, he wants him specifically to go in and wipe out the Amalekites and don't bring any spoils of war back, don't bring anything back, wipe it all out because it's all desecrated, it is all, it is all pagan, it is stuff I don't want to ever see again, wipe it all out, destroy everything, destroy the soldiers, destroy the king, destroy everything. That's what God says. So Saul goes in and he destroys the Amalekites almost. There's a phrase in 1 Samuel 15 kind of sums up Saul's entire existence when it comes to following God. It says, but Saul. But Saul. I mean, it, it, God's either on the throne, God's either the one that's telling you what to do, or you are. And it's that but Saul. I can't tell you how many but Tim moments that I've had in my life. God said, do this, but Tim. This is where everything changes. But Saul. So instead of going and doing what God said, he changes it just a little, and he brings the king back to Israel. He brings the king back to camp. He, he brings the sheep, the best of the sheep, and the, and the, and the livestock back and they're all, they're all back in the camp, and, and Samuel walks up, and Saul's there, and this is just so funny. Samuel says, hey, he sees, Saul, says, Saul says to Samuel, hey, Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. No, you haven't. You know you haven't. He's like a little kid saying, I didn't eat the cookies, Daddy. I didn't eat the cookies, and he's got a chocolate smear on his face. <laughs> and Samuel says, well, then... What is the bleeding of sheep I hear? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? In other words, if you carried out the Lord's instructions, then why does it smell like a barn? Why does it look like a barn? I thought we were going to wipe out all of these things. This is not right. And immediately Saul begins to justify his actions, and he blames the soldiers. Well, it was the soldiers' fault. They brought these animals back to sacrifice. Yeah, that's the ticket. They're going to sacrifice them to God. That's why they did it. And listen to this exchange between Samuel and Saul. Samuel says, why didn't you just obey the Lord? Why did you do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Saul says, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. 
And the soldiers took the best of the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best that was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Did you catch that? To the Lord your God. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Or does he just want you to obey him? To obey is better than sacrifice. See, what, uh, what Saul decided to do was to try to take an option with God. Uh, I would like to call that almost obedience. It's kind of the same as doing it my way, but this is a little bit different because I'm going to follow God, but I'm just not going to follow Him all the way. It's going to be almost obedience. It's going to be I, just, I don't want to quite... I think i got a better plan than you, God. It's called hitting the maybe button back to God. That's what it is. I think i got a better idea than God. I'm going to do it my way, almost obedience, whatever you want to call it. That's what it is. And, and Samuel says, listen, God doesn't want a sacrifice. Sacrifice is a good thing. He wants you to obey Him. He doesn't want you to give him options. He doesn't want almost. He wants you to obey him. Maybe God has been speaking to you already. But maybe God's been saying, you know what? I want you to go on a short-term mission trip. I don't, think, I don't think he's telling everybody that, but maybe he's telling you that, for example. Here's what almost, here's what clicking the maybe button looks like to God. It is, yeah, you know what? I, I can't, I don't have enough vacation time. I don't want to take my vacation time up for this. How about if I just give money to somebody else that's going on a trip? Because that's a good thing, right? Yeah, it's a good thing. It's just not obedience. Maybe God's been telling you to swallow your pride and get baptized. Ah, yeah, you know. But I got baptized as a baby and I confirmed it later. And I, I, think, I, I think I'm all right. I, I think I'll do it my way. I, I think I got this covered. I'll listen to the tapes some more on, on baptism. I'll think about it. I'll pray about it some more. Well, when does it get down to obedience for you? Can I tell you what God thinks? <clears throat> what I think God thinks when he hears those statements I think that when God hears statements like that, like when we click the maybe button, basically what he hears us say is, well, they must not really want me as their king. They want something else. They want someone else. They don't really want me as their king. They want their options. They don't want obedience. And it's a maybe. And it's not good to give God maybes. And I guess we're faced with the same question in our lives today. Do you want God as your king, or do you want somebody else or someone else or something else? to be on the throne. Some of us need to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, and really listen. And God's going to tell us the same thing he's been telling us for a long time. Maybe it's time to obey. Whatever it is, we've got to click accept, or nothing is ever going to work in our life until we start listening to him and do it his way. Bill Heibel said, I was in third grade. My parents sent me to a Christian school. I was listening to a teacher read this story about Samuel and listening to God one day. And she read the whole story about how Samuel, you know, said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God spoke to him. And he said, I was just dumbfounded when she told this story. And about how Eli went back and forth three times. And finally Eli said, No, this is God. Say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God actually spoke to Samuel. And he said, It was recess time and I loved recess, but I was stuck in my seat. I couldn't move. And finally, after everybody had left, I timidly went up to my teacher and I said, Mrs. So-and-so, do you think God speaks to little boys still today? And she said, Well, why do you ask? And I said, well, I don't know, but sometimes I'm out on the playground and I see kids ganging up on another kid who's not very popular or isn't pretty or isn't strong. And there's something that feels very strong inside of me, like God is telling me I ought to go make those kids stop doing that. 
Or sometimes I'm in the bathroom and I hear guys using filthy language and telling their terrible stories or calling their parents' name, and I get this strong signal that I ought not to do that myself and that I ought to tell them to knock it off. It just feels like there's times when God is speaking to me. Heibel said, I realize it now, but this woman had my whole spiritual future in her hands. Because I was, saying, I was saying, do you think that God still speaks to little boys? And she said, oh yes, Billy, God still speaks to little boys. And if you listen and obey, he will do that for you for your whole life. Then she reached into her desk and said, I've got a poem. And it's a poem about the story of Samuel. Why don't you take it home and read it tonight? So that night I took it home and I stayed up very late. Not only did I read it, I read it over and over and I memorized it. And the next day I went to school and I said, Teacher, I love the poem. I memorized it. And she said, Really? Would you say it for the class? And I said, Okay. And I stood up at class time and said, Oh, give me Samuel's ear, an open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word, like him to answer to thy call, and to obey thee first of all. Bible said she almost fainted. She said, wow, you know, I think if you were to carry that poem around in your heart and in your mind, and if you were to stay open to the leadings of God in your life, I think God could do something really strong with your life someday. And I was only in third grade, and I remember thinking, well, then that's what I'm going to do. I want to let God speak to me and lead me, and I'm going to go wherever He goes, wherever He tells me to go, and see what happens. If you don't know, Bill Hybels is a founding pastor of the Willow Creek Community Church, one of the most influential leaders in Christianity today, a guy who has brought us all to the place where we started thinking about those outside our walls again. Very, very influential. Why? Because he listened and he obeyed. He heard the invitation and he clicked accept. I'm going to ask you to do that today. I mean, that's why we're here. We're here to worship God. It doesn't do us any good to sit around and worship God if we're not going to actually do what He says. So we're going to do communion a little bit differently. Uh, matter of fact, why don't you just stand with me right now because we're going to do communion standing. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to worship. And our communion servers, you can go on back and get ready for this at this point. We're going to pass the communion trays across as we sing because I want us to have just a little bit one more time just a, one more time to say, God, you know what? We're listening to you. We want to do what you want us to do. And we're going to pass the trays across. Now, listen, if you're new, you need to, we pass the trays. There's two cups, one inside the other one. Take them both out and hold them for a minute, and we will do communion all together in unison. So just hold on to them. And you don't have to be from Parkview. If you're a believer, we welcome you to commune with us. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to pass the trays and sing at the same time, and then I'll get back up, and we'll have communion together. God, I pray for the people that are in this room right now and within the sound of my voice watching on the internet that you will be with them as they spend a moment right now in worship and as a moment saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And be with us this week. The first thing we need to do is, is get everything else off of our plate and away from us for just a few minutes so that we can listen to hear what you have to say. Some of us haven't heard the Word of God before. Some of us haven't heard it for a very, very long time. And we need to just stop and listen. But that's only one part of this, Lord. Hearing, getting the calendar invitation is one thing. Clicking accept is another. 
So I pray that you'll be with us. Maybe right now there's things that you've been working on us in our life that you will challenge us with, that we will go out and do something about it. And click accept and say yes. Be with us as we commune together right now. Be with us as we worship together right now. We lift you up because you are the king on the throne. We're going to put you back on there today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we commune together right now, let's take all that stuff off the throne, all these things that have been getting in the way, realize that God paid a very, very high price to be on the throne. And he's not wanting to be on the throne because he's got some kind of an ego problem. He wants to be on the throne because he created you and he's the only one that knows how you live your life the best way. And he's your loving father who wants you to listen to him and do what he says. And Jesus paid a high price for it as well. He gave his body and his blood so that you could be free, so that you could even have the right to worship God, so that we could be free to be forever with him in a place that is perfect. And we worship him now because this is his body that was broken for us. So take and eat. And this is his blood that was shed for us. Take and drink. Lord, we come to you right now and we are just grateful for the fact that that you have provided a way for us that is better than any other people could ever know. We're not going to listen to the ads anymore. We're not going to listen to other people. We're not going to we're not going to conform and be like everybody else. We're not going to be afraid when you ask us to do something out of our comfort zone. We're not going to be prideful when something actually works that you ask us to do. We're not going to do it our way. We're going to do it your way. We're not going to do partial, almost obedience. We're going to do it full bore. We're going to follow you. There may be people in this room that took communion for the first time in a long time. And for them, Lord, let it be a way of clicking the accept button to you. We can't be in a relationship unless both people want to be in it. We have to say back to you, Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I click accept. There are people in, in this room that are doing that right now. People that are coming back to you, clicking accept, because they've been in maybe land for a really long time, or maybe even decline land. Well, we want to come back with a relationship with you. I thank you for Brianne and Lauren who are going to come and get baptized right now, demonstrating total obedience, demonstrating a click of the accept button in their life. Be with them in Jesus' name. Amen.